Hello, friends, and welcome to the Epic Human Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Blair, and thanks for listening today. Who among us doesn't like to travel? Who doesn't quietly daydream about escaping the rat race to explore exotic areas off the beaten path and immerse themselves in new cultures? My guess is that everyone fantasizes about this every now and again, and then probably gets back to work. My guest today turned this common wanderlust into his daily reality, and he couldn't be happier about it. Today's episode features Cam Woodson, the founder of Nomad Impact Ventures, an e-commerce startup lab that builds for-profit impact businesses while traveling the world. You may have heard about digital nomads before, entrepreneurs who can operate their businesses remotely over the internet, thus allowing them to work from anywhere. Cam is taking this concept to the next level, running multiple businesses at a time from all corners of the globe, and then funneling the profits into an impact fund that invests in mission-oriented companies focused on climate change, healthcare, and education. For example, Cam is the founder of Bill Slasher, a service that negotiates on the behalf of consumers to help them save money on their cable and cell phone bills, as well as FanBump, a service that helps influencers organically build their social media following. The part I found most interesting was Cam's transition from the quote-unquote regular life to this new road-tripping lifestyle. In this episode, we'll learn more about Cam's path that led him to this decision point, the key influences and inspiration, and what it was like to actually take that first leap. I found my conversation with Cam fascinating, and I suspect you will too. So without further delay, please give it up for an epic human, Cam Woodson. And we are live with Cam Woodson. How are you doing today, Cam? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. Great to have you on the podcast. Uh, thanks for thanks for agreeing to be part of it. It's good to be here. I'm I'm honored. I'm I'm glad we're doing this. <laughs> Same. So uh, we and for context, you and I met um, when we were actually volunteering, um, and I, I think in general that's a pretty outstanding way to to meet uh, meet people and and build kind of relationships with new and different kinds of people. Um, and, and for context, uh, Cam is founder of Nomad Impact Ventures and leads a pretty interesting lifestyle. And, and we're going to get into all of that. Um, tons of questions I want to ask you and, and uh, been really looking forward to this. Uh, but let's start as we always do. Uh, I want to I hear about the origin story of Cam. I want to know where you grew up. Uh, what what and and specifically what you were like as a kid. So why don't you take us to the beginning? Sure. So I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I grew up in the city of Boston. Uh, grew up playing a lot of sports. Uh, I was reflecting on how back when I was about 11 or 12, I would play on about five teams at the same time in the same season across baseball, tennis, soccer, and basketball all at the same time. Hmm. So a- after school, my parents, which I, I don't think I-, I thank them enough for this, but they would drive me. I would have around four consecutive practices after school. They would take me from 3 p.m. till 7.30 p.m. or so. Wow. Um, so I lived, I guess, a, a relatively engaged and, and busy lifestyle as a kid, uh, I think heavily thanks to my parents, but played a lot of sports. Uh, I was really into strategy games, and mm. this 
I played a lot of the tycoon video games, like Roller Coaster Tycoon and Ski Resort Tycoon and Zoo Tycoon. Sure. And I actually think that playing those games heavily influenced how I think about business now. Hmm. Um, just because it was it was training in a, in a simulated environment of thinking years ahead and then having to step back, being thinking about, okay, this is my goal in three years. How do I get there? And you have to sort of, think through the steps of how you're going to progress and get to a long-term goal in a business environment, managing money and investments and stuff. So that was really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I always recommend that to, to people with kids. Those games are mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, and then I was really into like baseball cards and I would have teams and, and they would compete against each other and I would dive into the analytics and can compare all kinds of stuff there and then when I was, let's see, about 12 or 13, I started selling stuff on eBay mm. and playing with uh, arbitrage opportunities on eBay, looking for mislisted items, buying them in bulk, and then reselling them individually. Uh, and I, I didn't make a lot of money doing that, but I learned a ton. <laughs> right. Um, and so just doing a, a lot of different stuff I, I specialized in tennis in high school. Mm -hmm. I spent most of my weekends playing tennis tournaments and played pretty competitively uh, and then was planning on playing in college and ended up hurting both of my hips. I had uh, two hip surgeries during my senior year of college. Wow. And uh, I took a year off before college and, and then ended up sort of quitting tennis and, and shifting into business and, and haven't looked back since. So, so, uh, so just real quick, uh, tell us more about your family. Like so you have siblings. Um, what, 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 did, what did your parents do? How did your parents influence you? Sure. So I'm the youngest of three. I have a sister who's four years older and a brother who's two years older. And, um, my dad was a, a, a venture capitalist similar to yourself in mm -hmm. Boston. And, um, See, how do they influence me? Uh, well, I think I, I learned a lot about this kindness and respect and, and empathy from them. Um, and I learned, see, my mom was, was always very sort of hyper aware of what was going on in the world and, and, and analyzing things. So I think I get a lot of my uh, analyzation stuff from my mother. Hmm. Um, and, did, and, and did you guys did you guys travel? I mean, a lot as you know. Did you guys do a lot of family vacations? And and I guess just in general, what what were your like memorable family kind of experiences? Yeah, so we did travel a lot. We. Okay. And that that definitely has been sort of a gateway into my life now because uh, I mean I, I live on the road now and and travel around so traveling early on definitely exposed me to to this life that I live now and we we did a safari in Africa one year which was amazing that was a, a mind blowing experience wow. that was when I was about eleven I think oh man. That's like that was, the perfect age for that. <laughs> it was great. It was really, really cool. After I really, I spent a little bit of time there. I really want to go back. Um, we we went to Europe a few times, or 
a bunch of times. Um, we never really went to Asia, but we did, we did a fair amount of exploring and traveling mm. and, uh, had, had a lot of, a lot of fun with the family. Cool. Well, I, I, we're going to, yeah, get into how that might be relevant to, to your current, uh, day to day. Um, but one thing that caught my attention is you said you, you, uh, took a year off, uh, between high school and college. What did you, how'd you spend your time that year? Yeah. So I ended up uh, managing a hip hop artist who was, it was a kid that lived with my family, went to private school with me and got kicked out of the school that we went to together. And he started rapping and happened to be pretty talented. And I just fell into the role as manager and just ran sort of all the business and strategy and let's see in the, the year after I graduated from high school, uh, I basically just ran his career full time while well, he was a senior in high school at the time mm -hmm. and he got a few million hits on YouTube and, uh, we did a, a pop chips commercial with David Ortiz and he sold out a bunch of shows in Boston and Whoa. it was a, a wild, wild time that I guess really laid the foundation for how I think about business and, and taught me a lot of the business lessons that I still uh, apply and, and think about all the time and, from, and, from those days. And what do you mean? Uh, what do you mean he was living with your family? Was that was that kind of something that your family did regularly, or, or was that kind of a one-time thing? No, that was a one-time thing. So he was a a student in a program called the the Beacon Academy, which takes really smart kids from the inner city in Boston after their eighth grade year, puts them through a full year of really intensive schooling to prep them to go to competitive private schools in the New England area. Mm. And so my dad was involved in this program and met uh, this gentleman through, through that. And then he ended up coming to my school and, or the school, not my school, the school that I went to. And he, or my parents essentially just helped to give some extra stability. And so he spent probably four or five days a week living, living at our house. Gotcha. And we became, we, so we first became really good friends. And then when this music stuff happened, it, it, it all just sort of fell into place. And was that a, was that a hard decision to, to do that, that you know, take that year off? I mean, had you already gotten in, did you have to defer? What did your family think? Like how, how tough was that decision? Yeah. So I'd gotten into Amherst college and it, it was a pretty easy decision. I, I sort of, had a rough time in high school, to be honest. And so taking a year to, to reset and regroup as well as just get back on my feet athletically was, was really exciting and interesting for me. And the original idea was to spend the year actually uh, traveling. I, I ended up, I lived in South Florida and lived in, in Barcelona and trained there. And then, um, and then I, I gave it all up and focused on the music stuff. So the original plan was was heavily around the tennis. Mm -hmm. And then once we started having a little bit of success, I just realized that I liked the the business aspect just so much more and found it a lot more interesting. 
and I, I realized that we could actually make money doing it. So it was <laughs> a lot more appealing on a lot of fronts. Gotcha. So, so, so you're you're managing uh, your friend, and you're you're getting pop chip commercials at, at, with David Ortiz, and <laughs> and things are looking good, and and, uh, and the year pro- is progressing, and then and then what what unfolded after that? Oh man, so so I started at Amherst College the following year, and I I didn't really want to go. I really just wanted to to try to become sort of a, a music business star and and <laughs> and leave the whole education life behind. Right. Uh, but but I I ended up I I went to college, and a lot of things happened at the same time. I got to college and realized that I just really didn't want to be in that community. Uh, just being around people who are really focused on partying, playing sports, just, just other things in the bubble. We were in the middle of nowhere in Western Massachusetts and that just wasn't where I wanted to be and, and what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I was still trying to manage his career full time. So I'm commuting two and a half hours between Boston and Amherst, maybe every week or two weeks. Mm. And my artist career, which which had been going really well, started to fall apart while I wasn't there. And so a lot of things converged, and, and I ended up leaving Amherst College about mid-first semester, mm-hmm. um, which was a really intense decision, especially with my family. Sure. And tried to sort of save my artist career, which ended up we had a falling out, and, and his career uh, didn't pan out the way we wanted it to. And then I had a a lot of other just crazy experiences with other artists, with, with artists getting stolen by other bigger managers and, Hmm. uh, just a lot of kind of wild (laughs) experiences with, with, just a lot of shark activity per se. Can you give um, us like an example? Like a lot of us don't know that lifestyle we can imagine, but it, any crazy stories kind of come to mind? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I just got exposed at a, a relatively young age. I was, what, 19 and 20 at the time. And, and the music industry, well, especially the urban music industry at its core is, is an industry that's funded by tr- uh, drug money. Like. Mm. Which, when you think about sort of the entire industry where, okay, not only from the ground up is this industry being funded by drug money, but a lot of the biggest artists and executives that have risen to success came from drug dealing backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even Jay-Z being an example, I mean, almost every big hip-hop, a lot of the big hip-hop artists sure. uh, came from drug dealing backgrounds or pretend that they came from drug dealing backgrounds. <laughs> right. <laughs> and because that's just sort of, that's the whole story. It's the, the rise from nothing to success. Right. So it's, it's one of the scrappiest, just craziest, dirtiest industries that I think you could ever be in. So, I mean, people are just really misleading. I, I had an artist that I thought I was about to work with who ended up getting stolen by the, the former manager of Bone Thugs and Harmony and I had uh, just a lot of things fell through all at about the same time. Like mm. I, I probably had five or six different artist situations fall through in a eight month span. And at the end of that, I really just decided that music was just not where I wanted to be. And mm-hmm. so I essentially pivoted out and shifted into, into technology 
and simultaneously or, or during that year when things were falling apart, my parents had convinced me to, to reapply to colleges mm -hmm. in major cities with business programs, which was a much better fit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when this all, when, when I failed essentially and the whole music dream cratered, <laughs> uh, I, I fell back and, and went back to college and ended up at uh, University of Southern California in Los Angeles. Mm. And, and really shifted out of music and focused on uh, like startups and, and tech and, and began that journey. Gotcha. And you were, you were still playing tennis at that time or, or uh, uh, so, you'd so given I that quit. up? I, I'd given that up. I, I gave up tennis about five months after I graduated from high school. And then, and that was uh, mid to, I graduated high school 2010. So I gave up tennis at the end of 2010. And then, yeah, this quick timeline, I, I dropped out at Amherst fall 2011, started at, uh, USC in fall of 2012. Gotcha. And it was a better fit for you? Yeah. So it was a better fit. Um, I do, I don't, I don't feel like I, I really fit into, the college, the undergrad college world very well, even mm -hmm. especially after those experiences. I mean, I went into USC and I was just really focused on, okay, I want to build businesses. Mm -hmm. I realized I love building businesses. I wanted to build businesses. And most of my peers really just wanted to party. Right. And uh, so I, I just had to figure out how to sort of balance that but it ended up working really well because I was in LA, so there was a lot going on. And there were a lot of interesting speakers and really successful entrepreneurs that would come on campus all the time. So I got exposed to a lot of really powerful and interesting people. And I was able to sort of structure my life so that during my three years, I basically worked full time outside of school or, or worked full time on my own businesses while going to school. Mm. And, and I realized after I got there that I would be able to graduate in three years. So it all, it all worked out in a very roundabout way. Cool. Cool. And, and what kind of businesses like were you starting, uh, at that time or, or, or working for? So I worked for a, an equity crowdfunding startup called flash funders during mm -hmm. my second year of college. And I, I was doing about 25 hours a week and, and commuting about an hour each way, which was, which was mm. uh, interesting. That's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're sort of a, a loose or yeah, a direct competitor to angel list and circle up and we funder and, and these other types of online equity funding platforms. And that was that was really interesting. I did a an internship in San Francisco with True Ventures and one of their portfolio companies, which heavily shaped how I think about a lot of things about both life and business. Being being mm. in the Bay Area and being around that many entrepreneurial folks in one setting was was really mind blowing for me. Hmm. Neat. And yeah. And, and, were, I, and were you able to find were you able to find friends who like had similar lifestyles or or were you or you did you feel like more isolated like given the choices you were making i i was relatively isolated 
Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of it was by choice. I, right. I mean, I chose to live off campus. I lived alone. I, I, I isolated myself mostly on purpose. And I guess the, most of, I say mostly on purpose. The other part is partially just because I, I felt like I didn't have that much in common with most of the other people I, I went to school with. But I found I had a few really close friends who are also focused on building businesses mm -hmm. while being at USC. And so I, I naturally gravitated towards that crowd, which sure. was not a very big crowd, but, uh, but built some really strong relationships there. Nice. And, and so then you, you graduated in three years, and, and then what did you decide to do? So I graduated in three years. I was running a business right when I was about to graduate called Bill Slasher, which is a cable and cell phone bill negotiation business. Um, which I actually I ended up shutting down then, and I just restarted it this past year, and I'm now heavily focused on that business, which is a hmm. uh, sort of interesting, uh, I don't know, revival story, I guess, <laughs> of, of that business. Actually, I tried to give away the business when I graduated college. I messaged uh, a lot of people and said, hey, I have this business that's doing about two grand in profit a month. I started about two and a half months ago. Um, I'm looking to sort of hand the keys over to someone else and move into an advisor role. Is anyone interesting? Is anyone interested? And just, <laughs> just crickets. I, I, couldn't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get anyone to take the gift of this business, which I actually found a bit surprising, but uh, it is what it is. And I guess it's a blessing because I'm, I'm still working on it. Sure. <laughs> um, and... So yeah, at the end of college, I I sort of had two options. One was to keep working on Bill Slasher, but I really wasn't that passionate about it at the time. And the other was, let me hunt down a really interesting hyper growth company and try to jump in and learn a ton and, and get to the Bay Area where I really wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed at a, at a bunch. I really, at the time, I really wanted to work for Wealthfront. I really wanted to work for Instacart. Uh, and neither of them wanted me to work there. Uh, and there were a bunch. I mean, I talked to a lot of different companies that just didn't see my value and, and didn't really want me to work there. Huh. And I ended up, uh, I cold emailed the head of the expansion team at DoorDash, who is a USC graduate, and told him, uh, that that he should hire me and that they were looking for for a hustler who wanted to travel the US mm -hmm. and launch markets and and not do one role but do everything and that the job posting described me like mm -hmm. I read it and I was like this is me and so I emailed him I told him that and uh, and the way I, I really convinced them to hire me was that during the interview process um, I asked I asked my my future boss on our first call at the end of our call I said, what can I do today to help DoorDash be successful? Hmm. And he said, well, you could go sign up restaurants. And I said, how do I do that? And he gave me the, the quick spiel. And I went out and I signed up. I signed up a restaurant within like two hours of our call. <laughs> and I signed up a second one the next morning. <laughs> and I think that pretty much that was sort of it right there. I ended up I got an offer about I interviewed with a bunch of other people, got an offer five days later, and, and the rest is history. That's the ultimate ACE the interview uh, experience. <laughs> it was, the, that interview went 
about as well as I think it could have possibly have gone. <laughs> this, this is after many, many bad interviews before this. So it, <laughs> it worked out. I was glad. Sure. So, 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 so then you took on this, this role which had you kind of traveling uh, around the U.S. And, and you were kind of opening like new locations or maybe you could talk a little bit more about what you were doing there. Yeah, so we would spend six to eight weeks, and, and when I joined, the company was at 80 people and about five markets, and when I left about a year later, we were at about 320 people and 30 markets. Wow. So it was a whirlwind of a time of growth, and uh, the role was, was basically you show up in a new market. Uh, and you basically launch it, turn it on, hire the local team to run the market, and you have you do that in about six to eight weeks, and then you pack up and head to a new market. And so I was doing everything from from selling restaurants, and I had to learn how to sell because I'd never I'd never done sales before, so I learned how to sell. I was doing a lot of recruiting, of hiring new people, like hiring full time staff to run markets. And then was doing marketing operations and, and running all these businesses in the market. And then the other aspect of the role, which was interesting, was we were the utility team where we would we would backfill any local team members that got either fired in a market or where we couldn't hire people. So mm -hmm. I was the interim salesperson in DC and the uh, the interim GM in Dallas. And yeah, a lot of different experiences and a really dynamic role. It was, it was phenomenal. Yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like an excellent role for like a young person. Like I remember when I was like a young engineer, um, I I was really interested in in traveling uh, and you know, and doing kind of international work and whatnot. But they, at least at, at those types of companies, these are more old school types of companies, those types of roles were, were kind of more reserved for, for like the more senior people. And I always thought it was this just crazy mismatch was like, well, the senior people uh, have families and probably don't want to travel and the younger people uh, are unattached and, and willing to do that. Um, so uh, anyway, it sounds like the ideal, I mean, in a lot of ways, the ideal kind of role for you and, and for, you know, someone at that, that age, but then, uh, so you were doing that for how long and then kind of what, what shifted kind of in your, in your mindset in terms of like what you wanted to do? Sure. So I, I did that for, for about seven months and my, my goal when I first got to the company, I basically had two goals. The first one was let's make, let's help this company win. And the second one was to become such a huge asset to the company that they would move me to the headquarters in a much more strategic role. Mm -hmm. And so about seven, and during my seven months when I was launching, I spent my days launching markets and doing my day job. And I spent my nights and weekends, I was probably working at the time about, I don't know, 90 hours a week. I spent my nights and weekends just doing whatever I thought would be highest impact to help the business win. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a ton of time recruiting because we had one recruiter and about 100 open job postings. Uh, so I spent a ton of time recruiting. I spent a lot of time just doing like random cost analysis and, and sales hacking and all kinds of different stuff to try to really push the needle forward for the company. And so when my boss got promoted to be essentially the head of revenue, he brought me with him and, uh, and let me 
sort of it was called special projects and, and let me run our special projects group, which was just working on random strategic projects and building out new business lines. Mm-hmm. And that was I did that, ended up doing that for about six months. Um, and, and the shift for me really, both of those roles were, I think were the best possible roles that I could have within a company, like within not my own company, because mm-hmm. they're both really open-ended and entrepreneurial. The shift for me was once I got into sort of the brain of the company and I was no longer working independently, just working cross-functionally in a, in a, 300 person company I just did not enjoy mm. <laughs> like that that was not a, I like to move really fast and uh, err on the side of, of breaking things and cleaning up the mess afterward mm-hmm. and and it just created a lot of friction and so it just made sense to move on and and, and look for something different and then uh, and then how does that uh, at, at what point did you kind of have this this realization that you wanted to to live a totally different type of lifestyle, and and maybe we can transition into talking about what you're doing now? Sure. So the transition happened basically. Well, I ended up joining. Well, a couple of things. I, I realized during, after DoorDash that I wanted to do something much more impact focused. Okay. I wanted to do something much smaller. I ended up joining, I joined a different company in the Bay Area in early January, so a little over a year ago, early January of what, 2017, and found out that the the CEO hadn't been tr- honest about their growth and profitability metrics. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I quit very shortly thereafter. And then, so a combination of things, there was that, there was a, a five-year relationship my, my girlfriend ended and my lease was about to end. And I just decided enough is enough. No more jobs. I need to run, <laughs> I need to run my own business uh-huh. and I have no idea what I want to do, but I need to figure out how to live cheaply and buy time. And there were two options in my mind. The first one was go live at home. And then the other one, which I stumbled upon, I don't remember exactly how I came upon this, but I just realized, you know, I could go live really cheaply abroad and live a great life and just sort of buy time and explore and figure it out. So I did that. I, I called my parents one day and said, hey, mom and dad, I quit my second job within a six-month span and I'm moving to Asia. Hmm. And that's what I did. Where, where, where specifically did you move? So I ended up, last year I lived in seven different countries for anywhere from usually four to eight weeks. I did Bali, Indonesia, Chiang Mai, Thailand. Uh, I lived in Seoul briefly. I lived in Taipei. I lived in Da Nang, Vietnam briefly. I lived in Australia and I lived in Bangalore, India. And, uh, and so, at, but at the beginning when you said, Hey, I just want to buy some time, like how did you transition between like Hey, I want to get away. I want to buy some time into the realization of like this is this is what I want my actual like regular lifestyle to be. Yeah, good question. So, well, the trip was originally going to be three to six months, and then once I left, I was like, this definitely needs to be at least six months because I got <laughs> to Bali, and Bali is just great. Okay. And I'm paying I'm paying three hundred dollars in rent. 
I'm riding around on a moped. I've got a surfboard and go surfing whenever I want. I'm living a few minutes from the beach. It, you know, meals cost $4. A beer at the bar costs $1.50. I was like, this is great. Uh, this is great. This is, this is, how did I not know about this sooner? And so initially, right off the bat, I was just really happy with the freedom and, and independence that came with everything. And then after about 40 days of being abroad, I hit uh, like ramen profitability where I was doing, I mean, my, my, my living expenses were about $1,000 a month. So I was doing about $1,000 a month in profit mm -hmm. from a collection of, of different e-commerce businesses. And that gave me a, sort of a boost in confidence. And, and then I think probably about three or four months in when I was living in Chiang Mai, I just realized, you know what, this is, this is great. This needs to last definitely the rest of the year. And then as the year progressed, I just, I really just realized, I think that, you know, I think I could live this life forever. <laughs> now, okay. So, so a few things. So. Uh, I want to start with something very practical, and then I want to get to like a little bit more of your, your lifestyle. So sure. the, the practical aspect is, is I think a, a lot of people would find this lifestyle appealing. I mean, for, for obvious reasons, uh, get to travel abroad, get to learn new cultures, learn new languages, interact with interesting people, and, uh, and, and tell great stories. I mean, we're, and I want to get into all that. But just the practical matter is this this relies on your ability to build these 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 businesses that are kind of cash flow positive um, so so I guess the question is uh, you know how did you learn to do that um, and and how can other people like what would your advice be for people who who wanna who want to do this but like they don't know where to start in terms of like how do I how do I build like a, a small e-commerce uh, business? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the answer for me personally is that, I mean, this really started when I was playing with baseball cards when I was nine years old and, and, <laughs> and, and looking for eBay market efficiencies when I was 12. So I feel like it, it sort of feels like everything in my life that I've done and all of my strengths have led me to where I am now. Right. Uh, and everything has finally, like I've been, I've been, hunting for how am I going to spend my life? What, what do I want to do? I've been hunting for that for, for years, for probably five years. And I feel like I finally found it, um, on a more practical level of, of, you know, how does, how does someone do this regardless of, you know, their focus and interests and, and what they've done. So I think the traveling lifestyle of, of the general concept of, working online and just working from places with Wi-Fi anywhere in the world and and living that life is much more attainable than than most people realize. And mm -hmm. the secret's getting out, like the barrier to entry is getting lower every day because more people are writing about where to live, how to do it, how to find jobs, different things like that. There's there's a site called Nomad List that lists almost every city in the world and it lists uh, Wi-Fi speeds, cost of living, weather and, and nomad ratings and all kinds of amazing stuff. And that launched about, I wanna say three years ago. And then that guy also launched a site called Remote OK, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is the largest remote jobs board in the world now, hmm. which which that's a rising trend. So there's a bunch of trends converging where there's more information online, it's easier to travel, and even things like Uber and, and Uber's competitors internationally make it much easier to live in a lot of these countries because mm. you don't have to worry as much about getting scammed and, and safety is getting better because there's much more like online built-in accountability through these types of marketplaces. And, and even Google Translate, like all trends lead to this life being easier and easier every day. Um, and, and so back to how would someone actually do this? So I think there are a bunch of ways and, and if you're not entrepreneurial, it doesn't have to be in an entrepreneurial way because there are more companies now an increasing number of companies where you can work remotely from anywhere. Um, I think automatic, which runs WordPress, which powers what a quarter of the websites on the internet Mm -hmm. is one of the most prominent, uh, remote companies as is buffer Zapier. And there's a lot of great companies. So, if you're t- if you're technical, especially like engineering or design, I mean, tons of people want to hire you, and you can work from anywhere. Um, there's also I've met a, a lot of people who do freelance work, who might do design, coding, uh, marketing, PR, writing, all kinds of stuff that that just funds their travels. And then I've met people that just teach English online and mm. and fund their travels that way. I mean. It's sort of one of those things, if you think about, okay, I only need to make $1,000 a month. <laughs> if, that's, if that's the barrier to entry of, okay, to travel the world, I need, well, let's build in a little more. To travel the world, I need like to make $1,300 or $1,400 a month. I mean, if that's, wow. the, if that's, if that's what it is, and, and you know, it, which, I mean, you can live on that amount of money in a lot of places internationally. It, or especially a lot of places in Asia, I should say. Sure. Uh, so if that's the barrier, if you if you try to break that down, that's not not that it, it it shouldn't feel that big because okay, if I can even land a job that pays you know ten dollars an hour, um, I need to work in a month. I need to work what a hundred forty hours in a month or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and, and that's yeah, it's it's super dual. But yeah. and, and English teachers are making, I want to say, closer to fifteen dollars an hour, fifteen to twenty five dollars an hour. So, I mean, it's really doable if you really want to do it. Wow. And so there are those ways. And then and then the most three common businesses that that are run by nomads are affiliate businesses, which are sites where you you pull people into your site. You link to other sites where they buy things and you get paid a percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, there's drop shipping businesses, which are selling other people's products on your own site and sort of being a marketing and distribution company. Mm-hmm. And then when someone buys it from you, you buy it from someone else who ships it to the end customer. And there are like fulfillment by Amazon businesses, which are essentially selling things through Amazon Prime, mostly in the US. So those are the big like buckets of passive income, uh, nomad businesses, I would say from what I've seen. Nice. So, so a couple insights that, that I've gained. Number one is originally I was thinking about it as, okay, I have to be, and if I wanted to do this, I'd have to be an entrepreneur. I'd have to be able to code or whatnot. 
but it's actually it's it's much broader than that. You can you can remotely work for a number of different companies in a number of different ways. Um, and then the second big insight is the the actual uh, quantum of what you need to get by is quite reasonable. And which which and and I actually wanted to ask you about that because. I, I don't know if I'm doing it wrong, but I feel like whenever I travel, like I'm spending ungodly amounts of money. Um, like, what, what are your what are your tricks for so, living on a shoestring budget? I mean, how, how do you do that? Well, well, the 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 first the first thing is just is number one, <laughs> lower your standards. I guess. Is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's and 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 that's actually been. I mean, I've shifted from sort of a life of of maximalism to a life of minimalism, and and living conditions are a big part of that. For me, I what I, all I need to be happy is I need a, a decently comfy bed where I'm not getting like body pains when I wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, air conditioning, and Wi-Fi that doesn't like piss me off by being too slow. <laughs> uh, if those three are covered, everything else is just gravy. And so I did. I mean. I did probably the classic American travel when I first went to Asia where my brother and I stayed in four and five star places for anywhere from $70 to $120 a month. And we're thinking, oh man, this is incredible. Like, you know, we're staying in these ridiculously nice hotels for not very much. But I mean, now I'll, I'll you know, I, I battled a lot of cockroaches and, and <laughs> fly colonies and all kinds of things that, that, that most people would go, oh, that's gross. Like, how, <laughs> how, how could you? Li-? I lived in living conditions that a lot of people would would think about as like, you know, how could you live like that? But I guess for me, this whole year, I was, I was just so grateful that I got to live just a free and independent life. That living cheaper to me was was good because it just meant that my runway was longer and that and that I had more sort of stability and and. Uh, and I just enjoyed the ride, like everything, all these bad conditions per se have just been part of the the journey and the story. And, and, uh, I've just, I've kind of enjoyed it. Wow. That sounds, that sounds really interesting. Okay. So, uh, and, and so you told us about a couple of the places you've been. Um, what, what are like some of the, I guess, most unusual or craziest situations you found yourself in? Um, just kind of in exploring these these far off places in the world. Hmm. Uh, well, I haven't. Let's try to think. I didn't really get into any dangerous situations per se, or, okay. or anything anything of that nature. I mean, the the other aspect is I'm also, I guess, exploring a lot less than your average traveler because I, you know, I'm I'm working fifty to sixty hours a week, so yeah, I'm. Sort of spending a lot of my time inside, like everyone else, on my computer. <laughs> I'm just doing it in a different location. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, I think some of the most interesting things for me, well, I had just so many small world moments, and that was mm. one of my biggest realizations last year. Uh, like when I lived in in India, I had a a, a girl reach out who I'd met on a plane six years prior and we hadn't spoken since. And she reached out over Facebook and said, Hey, if you come to India, you should stay with my family. Hmm. And I said, yes, I would love to. <laughs> Let's do it. And well, I ended up staying with yeah. her fiance's family 
for a week and had an awesome time and, and got to eat lots of local Indian food. And then a different sort of a, a loose friend from college introduced me to a different local who I hit it off with. And she and her roommates or her housemates had an extra room in their house. And I moved in there and, and lived with them. So I had just amazing experiences and, and small world moments. It felt like everywhere I went, someone in my network knew someone who lived there who was just incredibly welcoming and friendly. And that was fantastic and, and is empowering to, to keep traveling and keep going back and seeing these same people and, and meeting new people. And I mean, the, the other related stories, I lived with a, a Vietnamese host family in Da Nang, Vietnam that I met uh, or that I found via Airbnb. And they were, they were fantastic. They threw me a going away barbecue when I left and we had barbecued frog and, <laughs> and, I, and I got, I got really drunk with the, with the father and grandfather and crushing local Vietnamese beers. I mean, just, just great times with, with, <laughs> with host families. And, uh, and in that example, do, were you already planning on going to India? I mean, and I guess that's, that relates to a broader question is, do you have every place you want to, you're, you're planning to go like pre-planned or, or do you just, or do you kind of make it up as you go uh, based on where, where your relationships or, or where your, your network is uh, kind of, you have connections? So I haven't, I haven't made any decisions based on network. Mm-hmm. I've mostly gone off of places that other nomads recommend or places I want to go for specific reasons. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just wanted to go see Vietnam. I'd heard great things. Uh, I, India, I've wanted to go ever since I read Steve Jobs' book and about how big of an impact it had on his life hmm. that, that I really, I really just wanted to go and experience it for myself. And, and then as far as like planning goes this year, I have, I have all my places picked out, which are Medellin, Colombia is next. I'm in, I'm in Miami right now. And then I'll go to Lisbon, Portugal, Budapest, Hungary, back to Bali, Indonesia, and back to Chiang Mai, Thailand. But, uh, I don't have anything booked. And so the normally how I'll do it is I'll book a flight a few weeks out and then I'll book three days worth of hotels a, f- a week before or so. And then when I get there, I'll scout out apartments for the first day or two and then I'll make a decision and, and sign a six week lease or something. And, and, uh, yeah. And, and you, you mentioned uh, kind of living with host families and, and whatnot in Vietnam and, and other places. And um, how do you how do you navigate the the language barriers of things? I mean, is it I, I don't know. Like, it, it, are are you are you particularly gifted it with with picking up languages, or, or do you just kind of get by with English? What, what's your strategy? So the answer is. I mean, I basically only know English. I know <laughs> I know a little bit of French, and I've now got in preparation for Colombia. I've got about ten words in Spanish, but but, but don't, don't don't quiz me. I'm I'm, I'm practicing on Duolingo. I'm, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get it going, but sure. we'll see. Uh, I found this is one of my other big realizations is that it's significantly easier to live in countries where you don't speak the language, even if. Even if uh, even if they don't really speak English, mm-hmm. then than I previously realized, 
And a couple, a couple of my favorite anecdotes are, well, I learned that the best way to get food anywhere you go in, in a foreign country is not avoid TripAdvisor and the tourist stuff. Just look where the locals are eating and then just walk in. And so I would go in, in Vietnam, I'd, I'd ride around on my, on my motorbike and I'd see, okay, here's a ton of locals at this restaurant. It must be good. And so I'd literally just walk in and I'd sit down and this is, well, in Thailand, this is how I found my favorite restaurant was I went in and I sat down. The menu was a hundred percent in Thai. I don't speak, I've got two words in Thai and, uh, none of the people there spoke English. And so they looked at me and I just shrugged and they shrugged and then the waiter walked away and he, he just, it was a chicken and rice place. They just brought me chicken and rice. And then, and then I, when I want another one. I just put up my hand and go like one more, one more. And, uh, and yeah, so just people, it, it kind of just works. Like you sort of just, it's a little nerve wracking at first, but people are really helpful and, and it, it all just works. And, and, and one other quick story is, in Taipei, I, I had, uh, well, I'd hurt my, I'd partially tore my pec when I was living in Thailand and I needed to get some exercise bands to rehab. Mm -hmm. So I ordered some off a site off the, the local Amazon in Taipei and, uh, they, it kept giving me an error when I was trying to check out and I mm -hmm. couldn't figure out what was going on. So I, I went into a coffee shop. I asked, two random girls, I said, hey, can you tell me what the heck this pop-up says? It was in Mandarin. I don't speak any Mandarin or read any Mandarin. And they told me that I, it was because I was putting my name in English and I needed my name in, in Mandarin. I was like, okay, like, can you give me a Mandarin name? <laughs> so then they gave me a name and we type it in, the order works. Driver, driver calls me the next day, speaking a mile a minute in Mandarin. I don't speak Mandarin. So I ran across the street into a restaurant I ran up to the hostess and I say, excuse me, like, do you speak English? And she goes, a little bit. And I go, perfect. I was like, can you tell this delivery driver to deliver my package across the street? Like, he's trying to, I, I don't know what's going on. And so she hops up, she's like, what? She hops on the phone, talks to the guy, and boom, my package gets delivered 30 minutes later. It's like, people are, are just so helpful. And everything kind of just works out if you just take leaps. Mm. I guess that, that's more, that may be even just a life philosophy around you just sort of leap into the unknown. Like everything just seems to, maybe I'm overly optimistic, but things, things just seem to work out even when they don't. Like even if you fail first, it, it, things all just kind of just piece together in one way or another. Wow. I mean, it, it sounds like that's, that's manifesting um, if, quite clearly. Um, and, and it sounds like that's, I mean, you've talked about a couple of the big takeaways, I guess, is, is there any other kind of big insight that, that you've gleaned over the past year just for yourself personally, or, um, or maybe like some, some, something about you that's changed as a result of kind of this new lifestyle? Well, my, my outlook on money has shifted dramatically Mm -hmm. because now that I've seen that, okay, I can live an incredible life on a thousand dollars a month. Um, and, and that I don't think about needing personal money. Like I don't see money as a tool to increase my personal happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think even if I were making a million dollars a year, I would still be living the exact same lifestyle that I'm living today. Like I feel like I found the lifestyle that I want and money will not affect that. Um, and 
and that's been been life changing in so many ways. I mean, for me, I see money as a, a a tool for impact, which I mean is probably not so dissimilar from from how Obvious views it in many ways. But I, I view it as as a tool for for impact and, and a way to create positive change in the world, but not to improve my own personal life. And, and maybe you should maybe you should uh, talk a little bit about that because we we've talked about how you're how you're getting by the businesses you're starting, but talk to us about um, kind of the longer term plan of of no, Nomad Impact Ventures. Sure. So our vision, and and I say our, I just added a I did all of last year solo and just added a, a business partner two months ago who's going to live and travel with me at least this year um, and and work on these businesses. But, but the vision of what we're doing is we're, we're focused on uh, bootstrapping e-commerce businesses and trying to build some very sizable businesses with the goal of essentially bootstrapping like a venture fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the concept is that more than 50% of our yearly profits are going to be set aside into an impact fund that will invest in impact-focused companies across healthcare, climate change, and education. Um, and so, I mean, this all this all ties into to traveling the world. I mean, we're planning to do this while traveling probably indefinitely. And, and the hope is that uh, both we can create a lot of direct impact with what we're doing by, by generating a lot of capital and then investing that effectively into other companies, both externally and internally, that uh, move the world forward per se. And then hopefully just by documenting and sharing the story, we, we inspire other people to live bolder lives and, and travel and, and pursue happiness and, uh, and freedom and, and all the things that we care about. It's an inspiring mission, and uh, I've, I've thought that you know, ever since you first told me about it. Um, and, and so, so I, th- I think many would, would find this appealing, especially younger folks would find this lifestyle appealing. What, what caution would you, would you advise to people? Like what, what's the, the hardest part about the lifestyle? Or, what's the, or, or what, what characteristics would you have to have uh, to, to be successful in this lifestyle? What, what characteristics would be difficult uh, or, or what would you have to overcome to, to get into this type of life? That's a good question. And I think the number one thing is isolation. So, I mean, it's it's the fundamental difference of being a nomad versus being someone who lives in one place is if you're nomadic, you're jumping between communities. Whereas if you live in one place, you have a lot of stability. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, many people crave stability. And even people that I've talked to say, hey, your life sounds amazing, but I could never do it because I just like being around my friends too much and I like, I like being in a community too much. So I think that's the biggest thing and that's also what, a lot of, what stops a lot of people who have been nomading, they end up stopping because they want uh, less isolation, they wanna be around more just like consistent groups of people. And if I end up stopping nomading, that'll probably be the reason that I stop. Uh, the, the counter to that is there are more things like um, remote year, which is, and remote years one, Wi-Fi tribe is another, which are companies 
where you can travel with other nomads ranging from you know groups of 15 to 40 or 50 people and you can travel to different places so i guess for people that that don't wouldn't want to do this exploration journey solo and wouldn't want to spend this much time alone that's definitely the the gateway drug per se or, or the the entry the entry point would be one of those programs where you can travel with groups of other people who are also probably new to this or, or just really want to be around other people. Sure, that's that makes sense. And I, and I assume uh, you, you you mentioned you're adding a business partner and you're going to be traveling together. So I assume that's that's going to help you. I mean, is that is that partially why you you decide to to, to add a business partner or or, or was uh, it more for business reasons? More for business reasons, although we get along really well on a personal level. Mm. And I mean, even having a thought partner in general, as well as in person, you know, before I was a solo founder is, is very helpful I agree. for, I mean, for reasons that, that most people know, but, but just, I mean, just to have someone to bounce something off of and, and not bear the weight of every decision personally, being able to, to, to share some of that responsibility. So um, it's definitely helpful. It wasn't the, the, the main reason by any means. Um, but I do, I've toyed with the, the vision or the idea of building a traveling company or even over time when, when I have kids of building like a traveling school hmm. where I think the only way you could really nomad, at least in the format that I'm doing it now, you know, six weeks in a given place would be to build a school and have other families of nomads that travel with you so that your kids have consistency. A traveling homeschool. A traveling homeschool. <laughs> ah, interesting, interesting. I, my, I like my that future. idea. Well, I think, I, yeah, go ahead. I think my, my kids will be, our kids probably won't overlap, so I may be, I may be <laughs> too late to, to catch you in the, in the age group, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see, you never know. And, and I guess tied to that idea, I mean, you, you kind of partially um, answered it, but I, I guess one question I, I had coming into this was, what is your what is your long term plan? Like, how long do you do you think you'll do this? Do you have, or are you even thinking that far out, or are you purposefully trying not to? Um, but maybe you could comment on that. No, I am. I I've thought about you know what what happens because I I want to you know get married and and have kids and and live a traditional life in that sense of of the 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 equation. But I think for me. Uh, it's very possible, very possible, although, you know, things do change quickly based on, you know, a lot of different evolving circumstances, but, but I'm, I'm really interested in nomadic forever. And I think that, that the way that looks is, uh, you know, kids on the road living, living out of backpacks like me <laughs> and, uh, and we've got a traveling school with a, a built-in community. And I think that a lot of the trends are favorable for that as far as just the rise in remote work, the rise in information online, the rise in online education, all these things, there'll be more people nomading and the online ed education system will be so much better, you know, five to 10 years from now that, uh, the, the trends are good there. And, and I think that what I'm doing now is, is very possibly sort of my, my life's work in the sense that, uh, just building, continually spinning up different types of companies 
and building those companies and, and generating capital to, to create an impact, like very direct impact, uh, just as far as our, our sort of fund and profit structure. But I think that this could be me, my, my life and, and path forever. I love it. I love it. Wow, it's it's uh, super inspiring. And this this traveling homeschool idea, I feel like there, there. If you pull it off, there could be a TED talk in your future. Um, so, so I want to. So, uh, first off, I think um, I think a ton of people are going to be interested in in what you're doing. And um, and but I, I want to save a little bit of time um, for kind of the rapid fire. Um, and so transitioning kind of back to just you, who you are as a person, what, what drives you. Um, so first, uh, maybe you could just tell us like besides traveling and, and, uh, and all the things you're doing day to day, what do you do kind of for fun, like outside of, of building these businesses and in between traveling? Um, and also, and on that note, maybe you could tell us about your, uh, your, your kind of new dancing, uh, interest. <laughs> well, I should I should probably start with a dancing interest. So this is this is from a, a blog post I wrote called "Why 2017 Was the the Happiest Year of My Life," and I think it was number five was I started listening to happy music and started dancing. And the backstory there is I basically I, I only listen to to happy music now, which is my upbeat happy music is tropical house music. And my my more chilled out happy music is reggae music. I basically don't <laughs> listen to anything else anymore. And I think it's contributed a lot to just continual reinforcement of happiness and positivity in my life. And then yeah, I've just started dancing. Like I, uh, I mean, I'll, I I've got a speaker that I travel with. I'll, I'll put on a song and kind of just. I mean, I, I'm definitely not a good dancer, but I I have fun dancing and. And now, I mean, when I go out, I'll dance at bars and whatever. And uh, it's it's definitely a, a continual sort of positive, just happy thing, I think. And and it's it's good good for life, I would say. So this is this is a kind of fun topic for me because um, I think I've been thinking about this recently. Like solo dancing, like by yourself, is just so much <laughs> different. No, I, I I'm I'm taking it seriously. Like solo dancing by yourself is so much different than dancing like at a club or at a bar yeah. or something like that yeah. uh, or at a you know high school dance or whatever um because it's it's a like i i feel like when you're out in public and dancing it's about what it looks like it's about kind of the interaction you're having with other people but solo dancing it's it's almost like a totally different type of experience because it it doesn't matter what it looks like <laughs> it matters just how you feel uh as my old jamaican grandmother used to say she just I, I like to just move, do what the music tells me to do. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I I, uh, I I happen to do that as well occasionally, and it's usually at times when I'm just like overjoyed and uh, and have to like get it out, and I, I find it really uh, almost like meditative. I mean, it's it's really nice. I uh, I mean, I, I I guess I guess I I sort of think though. I think about solo dancing. It's definitely a gateway into dancing in public, though. Yeah. Just even before last year, that was actually one of my resolutions last year. Was like, I want to become a like not embarrassing level dancer. That was ah, that see. was sort of a resolution. And the way I accomplished that was just by dancing. Like, it's 
it sounds funny to say, but but just sort of dancing in private, like sure, because I mean, it's with almost probably anything that's on a public stage where you're kind of being judged. It's really hard to to learn on the fly in public, right? Uh, <laughs> but it's much like. Yeah, it's just it's just much more it's much easier and more comfortable to to sort of learn in a private setting where hey I can like look like an idiot on my own and then and then sort of get my bearings a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I guess next question would be uh, what in your across your life has been your your favorite mistake um, or or I guess favorite kind of negative situation um, and how did you uh, how did it end up being a positive for you in in some way, um, or whether it's a positive outcome or a positive learning experience? Well, so the initial thought in my head is that almost every negative experience I'm just grateful for because it's led me to the next thing, which has led me to the next thing, which has led me to where I am now, which sort of like all the the failures have led me here. Uh, I mean, the first one is, is getting injured when I was playing tennis. If that hadn't happened, then I don't take a year off and I don't get into business, like deeply into entrepreneurship and business when I'm 19. Mm. And then uh, if, if I hadn't failed in the music industry, then I'd probably still be in the music industry today. Like if I'd gotten more traction and, and gotten further along there, I'd probably still be there today, which would, I think be a, a net negative in my life. So I'm glad that I'm glad that I got into it, but I'm glad that I failed and got out. And then I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that that the sort of that the bunch of negative employee experiences happened mm-hmm. as far as just being in a company where where there there wasn't sort of the right level of honesty. And getting out very quickly, uh, which which led me to this as well. So those are those are all sort of the, probably the the most significant moments that that have led me here. Yeah. Now it's it's funny too uh, the when you talk about in the music business, like if you had been more successful, then you would have been kind of stuck. I mean, that uh, just reminds me of sometimes people are the victim of their own success. Um, and, and, uh, and oftentimes we, we feel like we miss opportunities. Like you mentioned, you, you interviewed for a couple jobs and, and they didn't want you. And, and sometimes in the moment that, that feels that's challenging, uh, especially to the ego, but then in hindsight, uh, you play it backwards and, and you kind of think, well, um, I'm actually glad I didn't get that opportunity or pursue that opportunity or, or become successful in that way because it opened up something even better. And, and just recognize that and kind of reminding yourself of that is helpful sometimes when you, you do experience failure because it's so hard in the moment to say, oh, this is this is going to be better. You know, I'm going to be better off <laughs> because of this in the moment. But uh, that's why it's good to keep in mind, right? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think it's it's so hard to to understand or, or justify in the moment why things happen. Like, I mean, that's why a lot of people in the world turn to things like religion to try to find meaning out of, out of the, the insanity. Right. Mm. I mean, to try to find like some, some semblance of, of, of stability or, or meaning. I mean, that's in some ways that's the role of, of meditation, of, 
of religion of I mean for me I, I sort of just believe in the the that everything happens for a reason and, and everything will just work out in the end and just embrace the journey and that like all the negatives are just leading you to I mean hopefully something something good <laughs> like well I, I believe that if you search hard if if you search hard enough for something like you really commit to trying to find a specific thing which I guess for me was was happiness and, and impact and freedom and, and a life that I would love living that eventually you'll just you'll you'll stumble into it one way or another and that that definitely happened for me in a, a very very roundabout way and what would you say is your most unpopular opinion um, some, something you you believe that most people do not believe yeah that's a tough one and I've, I've thought about this before because I know I know Peter Thiel loves this question yeah uh, I think I one that, that that I've been thinking about is I think I think it's it's easier to start a company. It's easier to start a, a U.S. focused like consumer internet company outside of the U.S. than it is inside of the U.S. Hmm. Why is that? And and the reason for that is because. Uh, just if you're outside of the United States, you're shielded from, like your target market is are Americans. So those are the only people that really care about the business. But if you're outside of the US, you're shielded from any uh, judgment in the early days of your business from like peers per se. Mm -hmm. Like sort of being in an isolated environment. Um, it, it might even just be, it might even actually, it might even just be that it's easier to be outside of major cities. Mm -hmm. um, just being in sort of an isolated environment away from other people. I mean, this goes against the whole YC philosophy. Like mm -hmm. Y Combinator is, you know, you're better off being in a startup community because there are other people that have done this before and you can share learnings and meet people and all kinds of stuff. Well, I sort of prefer and think that it's easier to, to be just in isolation away from other people with no no distractions, heads down, just working on what you're doing and just blocking out all the noise and people and voices and everything. Hmm. That, that, that's a good one. That's, that's, uh, that is counterintuitive. And there's so much information online now, though, that you can learn almost anything online or by asking someone on Twitter or in a forum or, or just there's just so much just stuff published about everything. Sure. If you need to learn something and you have a Wi-Fi connection, I mean, you can get access to almost anything. That, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. Um, and uh, what, what's been the most, uh, well, let me ask this question first. What's, what's a, like, a favorite quote uh, that, that you think about often or you live by um, and another way maybe of thinking that is like if you could sh share a quote with the world like on a or, or, or a word or a sentence or a sentiment like on a billboard that just millions or billions of people could see what what would that what would that be? So I have I I have one quote and, and this is top of mind because it's from a, a blog post that I'm I'm finishing up and I found this quote and I love it. So it's this is the quote it's. Owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. 
Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. It's from Dr. Breen Brown. Hmm. Wow, deep. What, what, what does that mean for you? What does that mean to you? So, well, this is, this is diving into a, a new, new area, but, but this, this blog post that I'm writing that I'm about to share, which isn't something that I've really ever talked about publicly, is about like beating depression and mm. how that has shaped my life. Oh, interesting. And, and so the quote for me is, is really deep because it's, it's sort of about, you know, just publicly owning your, your, your lowest moments and sort of sharing that, sharing that with the world is just like, a, it's a, it's a, a, a crazy positive. I mean, most people, even, even talking to my parents and other people and, and, and sharing people who I've shared this with privately before, before posting it. Uh, I mean, most people don't, don't share their really negative things in life and they're sort of their lowest and hardest moments in life. And so I, I'm, I'm, I guess taking a different stance there. And I, I love, I love the, the message behind this quote. That, that is a super powerful quote. And we, you're, we didn't get into that, um, too much and, and feel free to reserve, uh, you know, in light of, um, having this blog post come out, but is there, is there anything you, you want to share about, about that experience, um, and, and how it's, how it's led up to today or, or do you want to reserve that for the blog? No, 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 I can share it. And, uh, and sure. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll plug here that I, I blog at camwoodsum.com. Yeah. Which is C-A-M-W-O-O-D-S-U-M.com. So this will probably be out, I don't know, around similar times. So cool. feel free to, to go check it out. But uh, I mean, some of my, my big takeaways were, uh, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger just in the sense that it's, it's our lowest moments that shape us the most mm-hmm. and they're our, our most powerful and, and just give us like the most strength to conquer future challenges and learning to, to place extreme value on trust and loyalty in relationships, uh, both personally and, and in business, um, and then through this experience, I mean, I learned a ton about human conformity and, and the forces that, that, that drive humans. Like when I was sort of depressed and, and in isolation during high school, the only thing I wanted in the world was just to be like liked and accepted by other people. And that's a sort of a dangerous mindset to have because you end up making decisions that aren't really necessarily in your own best interest or, or it's just, you get into a lot of comparison, comparing yourself with other people. And, and the more, the more that we can shed trying to be like other people and, and instead just embracing being ourselves, like like the, the happier and freer we become. So, uh, that was, that was a big lesson. Yeah. And I guess my, my last one was, which is, this is a, a Tony Robbins quote which is about like happiness is when expectations match reality. Mm. And so trying to, to really put forth the best version of yourself and, and match your, your reality mm. and, and your day to day with who you believe that you are, uh, is, is really how you achieve happiness. And, and I love that, that concept. 
Yeah. Wow. I, that's, that's a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the high school years are just notoriously challenging. Um, and the quote I love on kind of comparison is comparison is the thief of all happiness, yeah. <laughs> which, which yeah. I, I try to remember. It, it's a hard thing to, to, to bear in mind. Um, but, uh, I think, I think a lot of people will, will want to read your blog and, and, uh, and, dig deeper into into your experience there I, it could be helpful for for a lot of people um so i think that that kind of wraps it up so uh you mentioned your blog um how else can people follow you track you learn about what you're doing and, and get in touch yeah so my blog is uh, i've shared a, a lot of information about my sort of my story and and different learnings and that's camwoodsome.com and then i'm on twitter Instagram, you know, those are probably the two best public places. Instagram, I'm, I'm fairly active. It's at Cam Woodsum. Twitter's also at Cam Woodsum. Uh, Nomad Impact Ventures is just nomadimpactventures.com. And then the businesses that I, that I run, if you want to check them out, there's billslasher.com. And I have a business called fanbump.co, which is a uh, Twitter and Instagram follower and engagement business for businesses and influencers. And yeah, that's about it. I, uh, I'm, I'm very, very open and responsive on social media. So if you message me on Instagram or Twitter, I will most likely hit you back pretty quickly. So Excellent. feel free, feel free. Anyone that, that wants to chat about anything, you can, you can reach out. I'm, I'm available. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, reach reach out to Cam before he gets so big that he's he's not gonna have the time to reach out to out to you. Um, <laughs> hey, Cam, uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This is you have such an inspiring story and lifestyle and just kind of view of the world. Uh, and I think uh, many of our listeners are going to enjoy it and, and get a lot out of it. So, uh, just want to thank you again for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I guess I should. I, I'm going to close with with one question to you, which is uh, any any interesting insights, learnings, things things that you want to share before you wrap this up. Well, uh, is, there, is, there, is there anything burning that's that's going on in your life or your mind that that Oh, oh! I also I want to hear about the hot and cold. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring it. We we talked a little bit. Uh, we went back and forth uh, after we had first met, or the first couple times we met, about just things we had done recently that are were kind of interesting or inspiring. And I mentioned uh, that I I'd been doing some hot and cold therapies, um, and so I, I'm pretty intrigued by this this these ideas. Um, and so on the on the hot side, uh, just been reading a lot about the, the benefits of kind of uh, extended heat therapy, like in saunas and whatnot. And uh, like something like if you do three, two to three times a week for like 20 minutes at a time, it can have um, uh, major uh, improvements in inflammation reduction and, uh, and I think your uh, immune system. Uh, it can boost your immune, immune system. And then, and, and I was actually trying to think in your context, like, I mean, I'm, uh, I, I live pretty close to a, uh, like a YMCA that has a, a uh, uh, or I work pretty close to a YMCA that has a sauna. So I can jet over there and do like 15 minutes in the sauna. And it, it's kind of nice um, 
what I like about both of these types of therapies is it gives you a little bit of a, of kind of a reset, like in your body. And, and actually Tony Robin talks about this too, is, is, uh, he's all about the cryotherapy. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he, uh, skews more to the, to the, to the cold, which we'll talk about, but, but like one of his basic, uh, philosophies is you, if you, if you're kind of feeling stuck mentally, um, like, like let's say you're struggling with a difficult problem or you're just feeling stressed out, it, you can't think your way out of it. You have to kind of reset your body uh, in order to kind of reset your mind. So, uh, so sometimes, like if I don't have time to work out, like in the middle of the day, I'll just jet over, uh, you know, to to the sauna, spend 10, 15 minutes in there, take a cold shower, get out, and I'm like, it, it's like I'm just woke up for the day and I'm like totally reset. Um, and I was thinking about it for your context, like if you don't have access to a sauna, you could probably just like lay down. I mean, if you're if you're you know, so unfortunate to be on a beautiful beach. Uh, you could probably just like lay <laughs> always, down in the hot always. sand. <laughs> probably lay down in the hot sand and uh, under the sun with good amount of sunscreen and uh, and get the same like you know the, the same exper- experience. I, I could just throw on, throw on some blankets and make it my own little beach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And then on the cold side, um, I've been practicing just uh, at the end of my sh- daily shower doing like one or two minutes of, of really cold water um, and just practicing that. Um, and, and I find it's, it's a great way to like wake up in the morning, uh, similar type of reset and both on, for the body and the mind. Uh, and then I've also been really intrigued with uh, the, the Wim Hof uh, uh, protocol. Have you, you heard of Wim Hof? I, I Googled him after you, you mentioned him before, but I don't, Give give me the rundown. Give yeah. anyone who's listening a rundown. Sure. So uh, in general, I, I think the best resource is there's a Joe Rogan podcast with Wim Hof. Tim Ferriss also did one with him. Um, and Vice actually did a, a short documentary on him. That's, that's is this, not available. to jump in, but is this because Tony Robbins had mercury problems and he went with like crazy cold immersion stuff. Was this Wim Hof stuff? It may be, it may not be. I'm not like totally swimming sure in the about Arctic it. type of thing. Yeah. So, so, so this guy. So, so it's a gentleman. Uh, he's a Dutch gentleman named Wim Hof. He's some. He's he's some somewhere in his 50s or 60s, and he uh, he's developed this breathing technique that allows him to kind of endure uh, very very cold situations. So he does a combination of a breathing technique and cold immersion. Um, and as a result, he's able to kind of hack his endocrine system, um, and his adrenaline system such that he can do pretty amazing things. Like he holds the world record for longest ice bath. Uh, he climbed Everest, uh, in, uh, in a pair of shorts and no shoes. He ran a marathon in some crazy desert, uh, with no water. Um, with like 112 degrees of heat. So he's, he's done all these crazy things. And not only that, he's also uh, been tested by scientists and academics to try to figure out like, how is this possible? Um, and, and, and there's all the scientific data to back up that his process actually, actually works and changes the body in, in really unique ways. Uh, and then the last kind of evidence barrier that he overcame was uh, 
the a lot of people said, okay, well, you can do this, but you're kind of special, um, and so it doesn't really apply to the general population. And then he proved he could do very similar things with just average day-to-day people and, and kind of he trains them in his technique and he's been able to show this. So I start, I've started to mess around with it. Uh, there's an app you can download. Uh, I think it's called, uh, you just search Wim Hof uh, on the App Store and you can find it. Uh, and just kind of walks you through some of the basics of, of, uh, of his techniques. And, and I would say definitely, you know, definitely follow the protocols and, uh, and, and be safe when you do it. Uh, but uh, I've started messing around with it, and with some simple breathing techniques, I can I can sit in an ice bath for like five or ten minutes uh, very easily, very comfortably. Uh, whereas normally I'm I have quite an aversion to to cold. Um, oh yeah. So so it, it, you know again I'm in the I'm in the early innings of kind of exploring it, but it's it's definitely an intriguing idea that I think is going to gain a lot more pop- popularity as as it becomes more. Uh, uh, more ubiquitous and more pr- and more proven. So so anyway, th- those are the things that I'm that I'm playing around with, and so far with uh, extremely positive results in terms of my my mental and emotional state. So uh, cool. highly recommend and, and happy to kind of uh, happy to talk more about that. You know, going forward. Awesome. Yeah. I since you since you mentioned that you know before we chatted, I actually I I tried doing. A sort of a different version of hot and cold, which is taking a hot, like alternating seven times during your shower between hot and cold. Whoa, yeah. How'd that work? You, out? you switch back and forth. It's pretty awesome <laughs> because because you go cold and it's it's like a big, it's sort of a wave takes over, but it happens like kind of gradually back and forth. Then when you go hot, your body's just like so happy. Yeah. Uh, and then you take it away. I think it kind of builds willpower. Hmm. Because you're you're sort of rewarding yourself and taking it away, like back and forth quickly. I mean, if you have a, uh, it, it kind of depends. Well, I guess most showers, yeah, most showers work with this. The the shower I'm using right now doesn't have hot water. So <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that, but normally it works. <laughs> yeah, and I and I would say, it, you know, I've, I've messed around with that as well, and, and I feel like the the general takeaway is like when you're done, you just you feel like you're ready to just take on the world. Um, yeah. and, and come, come whatever, my, come what may. Um, well, Hey man, this has been, uh, this has been amazing. Uh, really enjoyed it. And, uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you better, uh, both outside the podcast and especially on the podcast. Um, so just want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, and thanks for sharing kind of where people can find you. I, I anticipate a lot of people are going to want to want to learn more. Um, and connect with you, and I'll, I'll definitely include all of the all of that info in the show notes for for anybody who's interested. But uh, until then, uh, until next time, I, uh, I I wish you good luck on your travels, and uh, and definitely feel free to check in uh, here and there when you get well, the opportunity. Well, thanks for having me, and, and this is fun, and uh, look forward to to listening to to your future podcasts and and seeing you next time I'm in San Francisco or or next time you do uh, an international trip I'll I'll, uh, I'll have to find you and hunt you down. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thanks again Cam. Really appreciate it and and thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks, Joe.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Epic Human Podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you happen to be using. And if you want to keep up to date on the latest Epic Human Podcast, please follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Epic Human Pod. And if you have any ideas for guests or feedback on the show, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.